Welcome to Funny, They Don't Look Jewish. Our purpose is to find characters, stories, and issues of comics that explore explicitly Jewish content. I'm Henry Bernstein. I'm Brandon Bernstein. No relation. Hello, listeners. Henry here, greeting you from the future. In July, Brandon and I had the honor of presenting an episode of our podcast live at the Association of Jewish Libraries Digital Conference. You'll be hearing a short introduction from superfan Steve Bergson, followed by our live episode. A quick shout-out and thank you to Marcy Eskin, Rachel Kamen, Heidi Rabinowitz, and Robin Katzen, who are so hospitable, gracious, and open-minded to the world of comic books. Take it away, Steve. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from not just one, but two Bernsteins. Brandon Bernstein is a former campus rabbi at Northwestern Hello. Henry J. Bernstein is an artist and teacher who teaches middle school Judaic studies at the Chicago Jewish Day School. Together, they co-host Funny, They Don't Look Jewish, a podcast exploring explicitly Jewish content in superhero comic books. Their show combines criticism. They aren't shy about pointing out Judaic errors, author interviews, backstory, the comics equivalent of Midrash, trivia about Jewish history, ritual, and folklore, and dramatic readings of excerpts from the comic stories podcast and its website can serve as a recommended reading list for Jewish superhero books. This will be their first time presenting to librarians and their first time broadcasting the show live via Zoom. Please welcome Bernstein and Bernstein. Thank you so much for having us. It's really an honor and a, just a great opportunity to be able to present here at the conference. Yeah, I can't believe we're here. Uh, you know, the reason we started this podcast is because I've sort of always been bothered by why there isn't more explicit Jewish content in comics. And what we found in our focus throughout this podcast over the past year and a half has been that looking at stories that contain quotes from Jewish text liturgy, characters that embrace their heritage, these are all what we feel is explicit Jewish content. And we found that they're there. Um, when characters use Hebrew, they pray in a synagogue, they celebrate Jewish holidays. They're living a Jewish experience, and they are on the, the comic in the comic panel. So we're really excited to be presenting that to you. Yeah, I think the key word that we really stumble upon over and over again in our show, and just in the reason that we're sort of pushed to do this, this passion project of ours, um, is representation. We believe in all forms of media that it's really important to be able to have representation of all different sorts of peoples. And from our own experiences, um, that includes we want to see Jewish representation. And so it's delight for us when we can engage in um, a hobby and a passion and an intellectual pursuit that is reading comic books that can be on all of those different levels and encounter and find, as Henry was saying, explicit Judaic content within that. One of our early fans was actually our very own moderator, Steve Berkson, um, who recommended that we present at this podcast. Uh, so we signed up to be able to do it. And I imagine that this presentation is going to be rather unlike the rest you may have seen over the past two days, um, as this is indeed a live episode of our show. We felt that the best way to present to you the joy of what we have discovered and share with you the potential that Jewish comic book content has is to just uh, show you directly 
one of those characters and the Jewish comics material we found, and also the way that Henry and I will talk about it to demonstrate some of the conversations and study that it can elicit. It can be anything from a great conversation with a friend to honestly, I think a lot of these could be used in educational curricula um, as a way to have students access and see their Judaism in a new way and then have conversations. So we'll be bringing in Talmudic or Midrashic elements. We'll be bringing in all sorts of connections that we can. But we want to start off by just reviewing a little bit of where we've been and giving you some examples of some of the really stunning Jewish content we've discovered. And when I say stunning, it's because when we started this, as Henry said, we just didn't expect to find this much Jewish content throughout comic books. We didn't expect to see some of these images. And it's really powerful to be able to see um, Judaism, like comic books are a mix of, of writing and drawing. And so an author had to have the idea and an artist had to bring it to life. And to know that an artist sat and actually drew out this visual representation of Judaism and an author did a research, sometimes better than others, um, it, it's just really powerful. So Henry, why don't we go ahead and uh, look at some early examples we've had. So here in uh, the Thing solo series from July 2006, number eight, the Thing is one of four members of an early superhero team, the Fantastic Four. The character was revealed to be Jewish in 2002, despite being created in 1961. And in 2006, writer Dan Slott had an issue of a solo series where he actually had a bar mitzvah. So you can see him wearing um, a suit, talis, kippah, reading from the Torah uh, in what looks to be probably a reformed synagogue with his family and friends there. And it's just pretty incredible to see a synagogue, as I said, pictorially represented and wild to see a orange rock superhero wearing talis and kippah. He also had a Jewish wedding a little later on. If you want to learn more about that, he the thing is our first two episodes and you can check it out. We'll give the link to that later. Here in Detective Comics number 860, December 2009, written by Greg Rucka, we have Batwoman, who has been a more a relatively modern character. Um, and we just see her walking through her apartment after a battle. And as you can see, she actually has an entire Judaica corner where she has a Hanukkah, Shabbos candles, very much reminds me of so many Jewish homes that I've walked into where they have their little curio cabinet or their stand uh, with Jewish content present. And above that, uh, eagle-eyed watchers may notice that she has a framed portrait of the Spherot. Um, and indeed, uh, yes, somebody pointed it out in the comments exactly. There's a Kabbalistic chart. And in our Batwoman episode, we cover the fact that uh, writer Greg Rucka actually did a lot of research into Kabbalah. We find that a lot of comic books, strangely, both Jewish and even Christian occultists do a lot of, have a lot of fascination with Kabbalah, but really wonderful to see just the spherot sort of depicted in someone's apartment in their Judaica corner. Finally, we wanted to show you from September 2002, an issue of X-Men Unlimited number 38. This character is Kitty Pride, also known as Shadowcat, one of, in fact, she's actually the earliest canonically Jewish superhero. She debuted in 1979 and her first appearance had her wearing a Star of David. And so from pretty much all the research we've been able to do. She's the first at least sort of mainstream canonical Jewish superhero. This issue was published roughly a year after the death of a character named Colossus that she was deeply attached to. And as you can see, the very name of the issue is Yartzeit. She's lighting a Yartzeit candle on his behalf. And the entire issue is told through the frame of a repeatedly checking in on the Yartzeit candle and seeing as it burns down more and more, she spends the day remembering his loss. I, I talked about it in the episode we had, but to have a character who's engaged engaged in this level of Jewish ritual and to have a very particularly Jewish view of mourning and loss um, was really, this was the level of representation that Henry and I found just really striking. 
Yeah, this was a this is a personal one for us, uh, primarily because Brandon is a huge X Men fan. I've always enjoyed them, and we've always known that Kitty was Jewish. And beyond that little Jewish star, we are excited to learn more about her. And you can check out that episode too. So that's where we've been. And now we want to show you, indeed, Kitty is a local here from Chicago where Henry and I are coming to you from and where, uh, right next door to where this conference would have been in another world. But we're now moving forward and we want to bring you a new character and basically, well, new to you, potentially character. Um, We want to introduce you to Colossal Boy, who is a member of a group of superheroes published by DC Comics known as the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, the Legion of Superheroes were created for DC Comics in 1958 by DC comic legends Otto Binder and Al Plastino. The Legion is a team of teen superheroes operating in the 30th and 31st century. And in the future, the planets of the universe have sort of united into one group and the Legion sort of operates as their intergalactic team of superheroes who are inspired by the legend of Superman to protect the universe. It's think for you Trekkies out there, think sort of like the United Federation of Planets and Starfleet in Star Trek. So their most notable and longest tenured writer was Paul Levitz, who, surprise, surprise, is Jewish. And he wrote The Legion of Superheroes from 1977 to 1979, 1981 to 1989, and 2010 to 2013. He started out as an editor at DC at early age of 20. He eventually became president and publisher of DC Comics until he stepped down in 2009. And he's written almost every DC superhero at least once. So quite a expansive library on on his part. Right. And while not the actual creator of the Legion of Superheroes, he clearly sort of has the definitive hand in their development, having written three defining runs in so many ways or having uh, been involved for so long. So one day towards the end of his first Legion of Superheroes run, Paul Levitz is looking through his roster of superheroes and realizes he has a character named Colossal Boy, whose real name is Gim Alone, or perhaps Jim Alone. Uh, Henry and I aren't sure if this is a strange way of writing a normal name Jim or a a futuristic name of Gim. Um, But regardless, what we end up having is Gim alone, the character who reminds Paul Levitz of the Israeli politician and general Yigal alone. So Yigal alone was a Palmach commander. He was an IDF general. He was an Israeli politician and musing on this resemblance. And we we put them side by side. So you could (laughs) see maybe less so physically, but at least the name resemblance. Paul Levitz decides, why not? Colossal Boy will from now on be a Jewish character. And he makes this decision in 1979. Um, now, according to an incredible resource, um, that's Ari Kaplan's From Krakow to Krypton, Jews and Comic Books, this had some unintended consequences. By making Gim Alone a Jewish character, Gim's mother, uh, Martha Alone, had been canonically listed as the president of Earth, rather than being a president of countries, since they are part of this united intergalactic pantheon this federation, as Henry had said, sort of. Martha was the president of Earth, and as a result, that made the president of Earth a Jewish woman. And so Paul Cooperberg, who's a friend of Levitt's and fellow Jewish writer, joked, that's how you know it is science fiction. (laughs) Um, So we're hoping that's more about the Jewish president part. So 
Gim Alone, Colossal Boy, who is this character? He debuted in August 1960 in Action Comics number 267 with the ability to grow to giant size, hence why he is a Colossal Boy. And the Legion in general, their naming patterns were often rather, they were teen superheroes. So rather than being Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, they were all Colossal Boy, uh, Phantom Girl, names like this. So he starts in 1960 as Colossal Boy. In the 90s, he is rebooted as a character named Leviathan following a superhero event called Zero Hour and debuting in Legion of Superheroes Volume 4, Number 62. He's rebooted as Leviathan. And this, very strangely, he is now from Mars rather than from Earth, but he remains Jewish. So we have our first Jewish Martian, although I'm sure there's some sci-fi fiction that explores that. And intentional or not, I really don't know if this was... uh, what Paul Levitz intended or any other writer did by naming him Leviathan. Of course, his code name, him being Jewish now calls to mind Leviathan, the uh, mythical sea creature uh, that is hinted at in the book of Genesis and played with so much by the rabbis in Midrash. Uh, there's all sorts of Midrashim about the idea that God, part of the way God spends God's day is by sporting with the Leviathan and playing with them. And of course um, the Leviathan will eventually, its skin will be used to make the sukkah in the world to come. So the fact that Boy becomes Leviathan, lets us know since they're from the 31st century, the world to come is not going to come for at least another thousand years in comic book time. Right. And then finally, uh, in 2004, he was rebooted once again uh, in Legion of Superheroes, Volume 5, Number 1. He was rebooted as a character named Microlad with uh, by an author named Mark Wade with the very strange quirk that now, rather than being a normal-sized person who could grow very large, uh, now he was a giant whose power was to shrink down to the size of a normal person. Not much Jewish there. We just wanted to let you know sort of a full biography, as it were, or introduction to this character. So that's the background of who this character is and his writers. And now we're going to dive into the actual Jewish content as it appears in pages. Henry. Yeah, so our first example of Jewish content comes from just one panel from the DC special series number 21, December 1979, Starlight, Star Bright, Furthest Star I See Tonight, written by Paul Levitz, as we mentioned, art by the great Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and Dick Giordano. The two of them designed uh, most of the look of the DC universe colored by Jerry Serpy, lettered by Ben Oda, and edited by Len Wine. As the Legion is sort of monitoring holidays from across the galaxy for some reason, we see on one of their monitor screens, Colossal Boy is celebrating Hanukkah with his family. And although this is only one single panel in an entire comic book, in the late 70s, that was pretty much the most Jewish content you could hope for. Right. This is actually, I mentioned earlier when we covered Shadowcat, that she was canonically the first um, Jewish superhero, at least published by the Mar- the big two publishers, Marvel and DC. And she debuted also in 1979, just a few months before this issue. So in her panel, it was just that she was wearing a Star of David necklace. And here we have Leviathan sharing what looks to be a Hanukkah meal and maybe even a Shabbat meal during Hanukkah. We're not sure. Um, but as Henry said, this panel, although very small for 1979, this was the most Jewish representation you could really hope for. 
Yeah. Just less than a year later, we end up getting a few more details about who this character is. This is um, a special miniseries, Secrets of the Legion of Superheroes, Volume 1, Number 1, from October 1980. The issue was called The Past Seen Darkly. It was written, I believe, it was plotted by E. Nelson Bridwell and scripted by Paul Cooperberg. That is the same Paul Cooperberg we quoted earlier, who is great friends with Paul Levitz, which is why I think he was entrusted to write a Legion book in the uh, in between Paul Levitz's run. This was penciled by Jim Janes, inked by Frank Chiaramonte, colored by Gene D'Angelo, lettered by Ben Oda, and edited by Jack C. Harris. Here, um, basically what this issue does is it reviews the history of the Legion and sort of lets everyone know. It reviews character by character, how they joined, what their story was. Um, and in getting into Colossal Boy's background, we learn that yes, he was born on Earth, but he was specifically born, as this says, in the area once known as Israel, without uh -oh. any special powers. <laughs> he lived in Jerusalem, so what this lets us know is that at least in this fictional 31st century, Jerusalem, the city still exists. Israel, the state may or may not. However, he spent his summers working at traditional farming collectives called the kibbutz. So once again, while the state of Israel's fate is unknown in the far future, the fact that they're a kibbutzim and especially <laughs> that they're still involved in farming still exists. It's really kind of wild to be able to see this. And again, it's just a quick panel. You could almost miss it, but it's this wonderful introduction of some elements of Jewish and Israeli culture into superhero comic books. And just four years later, uh, we have Legion of Superheroes, Volume 2, number 308, February 1984. Guess What's Coming to Dinner, written by Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen, penciled by George Tuska, inked by Larry Malstadt, colored by Carl Gafford, lettered by Adam Kubert, and edited by Karen Berger. And uh, in this issue, Colossal Boy is bringing home his alien girlfriend that is alien to Earth. And the whole story, he's sort of worried about what his parents will think. And the, the title, of course, is playing off the famous Sidney Poitier movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And really the only Jewish content we get is in the last panel after they meet, they meet her and everything goes fine. They're, they're, the parents are getting into bed. Jim's parents are getting into bed and says, now I wonder if I can find a way to convince them to bring their kids up Jewish. Right. So uh, before we got that reveal, the issue essentially, or the story, dives into all sorts of tensions and the idea of, um, it would seem on one level that it's about an allegory for racial tolerance, having somebody who's not from Earth and an alien and whether or not they could come in. And of course, as Henry said, being a reference to guess who's coming to different to dinner, it's clearly a uh, an issue of racial tolerance. And yet, Paul Levitz has said in interviews, including an interview with the J, uh, which is a Bay Area Jewish newspaper, he argued that with this issue, it was a sincere attempt to touch on the issues of tolerance. There are obviously very strong issues in our faith and in our cultural background. And he notes that one of these issues is interfaith marriages and whether you know Judaism, what will happen to Judaism and the impact that it will have. And so it's kind of a flash and a look at the idea that uh, inner faith relationships was a live conversation in 1984. Of course, it remains a live conversation today in 2020. And by live conversation, I mean, it's something that exists and is in the world. I know that Henry and I personally are accepting, like we're accept interfaith relationships as a part of the modern world and what it means to be a part of the Jewish people at this point, recognizing that they're still every now and then, you know, articles that come out sort of talking about what does interfaith marriage do and what does it mean, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, Paul Levitz is projecting forward that even in another thousand years, it will continue because it's been a reality of Jewish history for thousands of years before. We know that in Jewish history, anytime that Jewish people have been more accepted or more successful within the culture, they have had relationships with people within them. It's not something that's you to 
20th or 21st century America. We jump forward now about 26 years to 2010 and Paul Levitz's final run on Legion of Superheroes. This is volume six, number six, an issue called Acceptance, written by Paul Levitz, penciled and inked by Francis Portello, uh, colored by Hi-Fi Design, lettered by Sal Cipriano, and edited by Sean Ryan and uh, Brian Cunningham. On the previous panel, which we're not showing you, a character named Phantom Girl had asked Colossal Boy about skipping the Sunday dinner he was supposed to have with his mother, who was a politician, or skipping the concept of Sunday dinner. And as you can see, Colossal Boy's response is, actually, my tribe calls it Sabbath dinner, and it was Friday night, PG. And no, I don't think mom's pissed. Um, And Phantom Girl, not being from Earth, says, no offense meant, I still have trouble remembering all the quaint Earth customs sometimes, which is weirdly both a celebration of Jewish culture and also a tiny dig uh, at the concept of religion in general. Uh, But essentially what we have is a character expressing that he continues to get together with his, with his mother for Shabbat dinner. Um, It seems every Friday night. Um, What we have here is a question. And Henry and I find this a lot in these comic books. uh, There is a question because they are often written for a, non-Jewish audience and for a wider appeal audience, a lot of times what comic books will do is they'll make reading as simple as possible. So if a character is speaking in German or Russian or Portuguese, um, they'll place sort of uh, uh, those carrots or greater than less than signs on either end and let you know that it's translated into English from whatever their language it might be. So when you get something like this, uh, there's a question, did Colossal Boy really say Sabbath dinner or is that what the writer chose to do to make it more uh, obvious? Because I imagine he's probably saying my tribe calls it Shabbat dinner or Shabbos dinner, depending on how he was raised. But either way, we sort of, you know, is it translated friendlier or is it that in the future um, we've lost a little bit of it of that distinctness? Is it sort of suggesting that it is called Sabbath dinner or is it just what he calls it because he's talking to someone who's not Jewish? And I've certainly, depending on the context, sort of code switched in that way and had times where I talk about Shabbos dinner when I'm uh, with people I'm close with and when I'm talking to my friends who aren't Jewish, sometimes referring to it as Sabbath or you know Shabbat, which is the Jewish Sabbath, etc. Anyway, the point being, um, it's still pretty striking in a 2010 main mainstream comic book to see a character talking about Shabbat dinner with his mother. And in fact, later in that issue, page 12, we actually see there's Colossal Boy in his civvies uh, along with Yera, his alien girlfriend, visiting his mother and sitting down to Shabbat dinner. And if you look closely, you should notice um, there are indeed Shabbos candles. There's a Kiddush cup next to it. There looks to be some challah. It's really a beautiful panel. And I think this points out because comic books are this blend of the written word and images in, you know, similar but different to the way that movies and television are because it blends it together. So much of the power of Judaism within these comic books is not always found in the words being written, but in the imagery, right? And so to be able to have an image like this, again, if you were reading this comic quickly, you could fly by it. And if not, it's stunning to be able to see that within a comic book, you see a family, right? And, and, a literally intergalactic family with a, a liter, an alien from another planet, and yet they're all about to engage in the ritual of Shabbat dinner together. It's beautiful. That's great. So what we wanted to do for the rest of our time together, and thank you to everyone who's active in the chat and saying how much they're loving seeing this panel. I'm really glad. It like, does our hearts well, I think, to know that other people are as touched by these images as we are. Um, what we want to do is spend the rest of our time looking at one issue in 
particular, um, an issue that is absolutely brimming with Jewish content, and an issue that is slightly outside of the mainstream comic book continuity. This is Teen Titans Go number 49, published in November 2017, entitled Oil's Well. Before we get into more details, though, Henry, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Teen Titans Go? Sure. Teen Titans Go is a very popular TV show for kids and adults, which in its for its pilot episode had over 3 million viewers. And it's even spawned two successful animated feature films. It follows the misadventures of the young heroes of DC with sort of broad slapstick, silly humor for our purposes in this issue. And for most of the cartoon and the issues, the heroes are Robin, who you'll recognize as Batman's partner, Starfire with the pink hair, Raven with the hood, Beast Boy, who's green and is often turns into an animal, and of course, Cyborg, who is half man, half machine. You know, they've had several volumes of this, of this comic book, and the, it has served as a companion to the TV show. Whenever there's a popular superhero show on TV, all the CW ones like Supergirl, Arrow, Flash, anything like that, there's usually a comic book that is a companion thing to it to sort of get kids into the comic book stores with their parents who are still buying comics, but their kids aren't, they're watching TV. So it's uh, actually this, this comic is a great companion piece to get kids into reading comics for, uh, instead of just watching TV. I'm seeing in the, in the chats, just some commentary that's sort of letting us know that there's these wonderful, in the, on the cover of this issue, we see Hanukkah sweaters on these superheroes. And someone was also reflecting on what does it suggest that there are still Jewish superheroes in the far future of the 31st century? Henry and I, I think we're going to cover this a little bit as we get to this issue. We, we have some thoughts, but we just want to let you know, we love seeing the conversation. Thank you for that. And as we're looking, let's just talk really briefly about the author of this particular issue, whose name is Shali Fish. So um, his born name is Shalom Fish, Shali Fish being, Shali being a nickname, and he's from Teaneck, New Jersey, identifies as an Orthodox Jew, and has worked in children's television for most of his career, and has also been writing comics as self-described hobby for over 35 years. In 2011, Josh Lepowski wrote an article for the Jewish Standard interviewing Shali Fish in which uh, he said, quote, there are not as many Jewish superheroes as there are non-Jewish, but it's a far cry from when I was growing up and basically every superhero was white and Christian and fit that mold in terms of ethnicity. It was really over the course of the 70s and 80s, there started to be more diversity in comics. Part of that were characters identified as Jewish, which is always a nice thing. Um, and indeed, we showed you at the beginning that it wasn't until 1979 that we really got our first Jewish superheroes. So they weren't introduced, right? A decade after sort of the 1960s brought a newfound confidence that Jewish Americans had in their own Jewish identities. And Charlie Fish, having grown up seeing just maybe a panel or two of a Jewish character, went on to write this issue that we're going to dive into and just happens to be, as I said, one of the most Jewish issues that we've ever seen. So um, this comic is one, very Jewish, and two, very funny. So what Henry and I are going to do for you is we're basically going to take you through almost panel by panel. We're going to be skipping a few, reading it, and then discussing each page where we think there's room for discussion. Great. So once again, to remind everyone, uh, our heroes that we're dealing with here, who are the main Teen Titans, are Robin, Raven, who is in the purple, Beast Boy, who's the little green guy, Starfire, who is an alien from the planet Tamaran, she has pink hair, and Cyborg, half man, half machine. This is Teen Titans Go, number 49, November 2017. The issue is called 
Oil's Well, written by Sholly Fish, penciled and inked by Leah Hernandez, colored by Bob Sharon, lettered by Wes Abbott, and edited by Christy Quinn. So Brandon and I are going to take you through this issue, reading the different parts of the characters. We'll do our best to differentiate the voices as best as we can. And we'll comment a little bit on, uh, on most of the pages when we get to the, the end of each page. What's in the bag, Beast Boy? Is it puppies? Is it gummy snacks? Is it the puppies eating gummy snacks? Is it snacks shaped like gummy puppies? Nah, it's a menorah. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, And then we have a variety of perplexed reactions, except for Starfire, who absolutely loves it, um, from our characters. So just wanted to point out part of what we love about this is Beast Boy, very much not a Jewish character, for some reason celebrating Hanukkah, wearing a Hanukkah sweater that uh, has a dreidel on it and then outfits every one of his friends with Hanukkah sweaters. And as you can see, we have a Star of David ugly Hanukkah sweater for Robin. We have the Hanukkah on Starfire's sweater. We have Cyborg wearing various latkes. And you can't tell it in this panel, but Ravens also has Star of David designs. And a few people in the comments have pointed out, um, as Henry and I uh, also noticed, unfortunately, the Hanukkah does not have a race Shamish, but <laughs> it is delightful. There there are other comics where they don't always get it right, and you end right. up seeing a seven-branched seven menorah rather than a nine-branched Hanukkah. So we're glad to have that uh, level of detail. And at least the Shamash candle is supposedly in the middle. So maybe we can make some excuse. But regardless, what we have here is, in some ways, part of what's so delightful about this is that you have a group of entirely non-Jewish characters knowing enough about Hanukkah to be able to at least celebrate it. And so maybe there's a discussion to be had of, is this some means of appropriation, but I think in general, it's just delightful to be able to see this and is also reflective of, for me, right, this came out in 2017, this feels very late 2010s and early 2020s. Most of the Jewish people I know love the concept, at least in America, love ugly holiday sweaters. Um, I just finished five years working as the campus rabbi at Northwestern Hillel, and I will tell you every year when we had Hanukkah celebrations, my students could not wait. Every 18 to 22-year-old could not wait to be able to wear an ugly Hanukkah sweater to any event that we might have had. So this is very much reflective, not just of Hanukkah, but of Hanukkah today. But Raven says, you know you're not Jewish, right? So, eight days of presents, dude. Ooh, and potato pancakes! Latke party! Uh, The only thing I want to point out again is clearly something about Judaism permeates through non-Jewish culture because we have these five heroes who aren't Jewish knowing enough that at least it's eight days, there are presents associated, knowing about latkes. Great to see. Hanukkah is a sacred religious holiday. You can't just... Uh, what's that? portal or a hole opens in time and space and out comes colossal boy saying shalom primitive israelites i have come from the 31st century so we have this great introduction an example of colossal boy introducing himself um and we're going to find out a bit more of it but what we end up seeing is that um Colossal Boy essentially thinks that he's coming and visiting the ancient Israelites and is calling them such. Let's go ahead and see the next panel. Did you call us Israelites? 
Oh, do you prefer Jews or people of the book? No, wait, I know. You must be Maccabees. You see, I've decided to celebrate Hanukkah in the traditional 31st century manner by traveling 3,000 years into the past to witness the Hanukkah story for myself here at the Great Temple in ancient Jerusalem. Uh, I think you've gone back a thousand years, not 3,000. And this is the Jump City, not the Jerus. Oh, where are my manners? I haven't even introduced myself. I'm the Jewish member of the Legion of Superheroes. Colossal boy. And then we could see Cyborg's uh, ugly sweater says Team Latkes on the back. Yeah, so <laughs> very funny, very silly. And uh, we just want to highlight a few things that are pretty amazing. Even in the midst of the jokes, there's also just all sorts of accurate and noteworthy things. The fact that we as Jews call ourselves so many different things. And also when we're talking about the Hanukkah story, are those Israelites or are they Jews? No, wait, it's not really yet appropriate to call them Jews. Ah, maybe they're just people of the book. Maybe they're Hebrews. Ah, they must be Maccabees, right? And he's getting sort of more specific. So I love the, oh, which title do you prefer for who you are now? All sorts of conversations that could maybe come out of this if you're using it in a classroom or even right now, right? Of sort of, ah, what do we call ourselves and what have Jews called ourselves at different times? And then we get to playing on what someone said in the comments, not only has Judaism survived into the 31st century, but as we know, Judaism survives because it's adaptable and it changes. And by the 31st century, there is both tradition and yet shifting along with technology such that apparently the way you celebrate Jewish holidays is by using time travel <laughs> to go back and witness the holiday as it happened. And I just... I love the idea of evolving tradition. I love the humor of it, but I also love the seriousness, which is the number of conversations I've had with friends. If you could go back in time um, and see any, right? Like, where would you go? If we had this technology, who among us would not choose, uh, assuming that we could do it safely, right? Like, who would not want to go back and see what actually happened at the desecration of the temple or for, you know, going back to Egypt or going to, you know, 70 in Rome. Well, maybe you wouldn't want to see that. But regardless, travels back. And Henry, I know you wanted to point out some other things. Yeah. And, the, you know, and also just, just to say, like, the, the idea of uh, technology informing how to, how, how to celebrate Jewish rituals and customs in the future is something that we're certainly experiencing right now, starting with Pesach. Passover from this past year was very different than it had been for the past many centuries. So, you know, it's not, it, it, this comic feels very current uh, in a way that it, it, you know, it may, might not have when it was written in 2017. And it, this panel is doing three things here. One, what you said about, you know, that Hanukkah is being celebrated in the 31st century and there's new traditions that are coming from it. Two, that Colossal Boy, kind of with a wink and a nod, refers to himself as the token Jewish superhero, you know, which is great. He's sort of like, I'm the Jewish superhero. You know, you know that one, right? Right. So, it's like, this is the one that glows in the dark, and this is the one that uh, can multiply, and this is the right. Jewish one. Right. Yeah. This is the one that celebrates Hanukkah. And, you know, and of course, and the other little inside joke that's happening is that time travel is a thing that happens in Legion of Superheroes. They're most famous for be being inspired by Superman all the way in the 30th century, travel back in time to meet Superboy, their hero, induct him into the Legion, and then take him back with them to the 31st century. So, you know, they're no strangers to messing with time travel and meeting their heroes. Right. And these paradoxes, which are kind of hard to follow, um, this idea of characters going back in time to find their inspiration and bring them into the future and send them back. On the one hand, it is 
all of the gobbledygook and wonderful pseudoscience that I love about superhero comics. And on the other hand, it's not foreign to our tradition because as you may know, there's a very famous midrash in Menacho 29b where Moses is with God uh, atop Mount Sinai as God is writing out the Torah. Um, and God ends up sending Moses on a journey through time into the future to Rabbi Akiva's academy where he witnesses the way that Akiva will interpret every jot and thistle, uh, every kotz kotz of the of the Torah, every sort of marking of the way that it's written and, and expound mounds and mounds of halakha. And Moses is delighted in seeing this and then heads back to the past or his present. And then God sends him in the forward, forward in time again to witness Akiva's ultimate fate. So even in our own tradition, right, thousands of years before this comic was written, we have record of imagining what it would be like to cross generations. Every time that I sit down with someone and study Torah and read commentary, part of what I argue for people is that we're having a conversation across time. I'm reading a text written from the year, you know, 450 with commentary from a rabbi from 12th century France with future commentary by an 18th century rabbi with us in the year 2020 talking about it. We're having a conversation across time. And basically what this comic book does is it literalizes it. And now we've connected the 31st century to, you know, the I guess second century BCE when the Hanukkah story actually occurred to our modern day with superheroes. And it's doing that same work. This is, I think, part of what makes me and Henry so excited to see this is that Judaism and comic books really have surprising overlap in they're not always limited by what's physically possible. Yeah. Beast Boy continues, maybe we should play along and pretend this is ancient Jerusalem. Why? So we don't disappoint the giant who can crush us with his toe. Fair point. But how are we going to make that work? I don't know anything about Hanukkah. Nor do I, although I did once visit a Lubavitch outreach center on my home planet of Tamaran. Those guys are everywhere. Uh, all right. this, it's fair to say, I think, Brandon, that this is our favorite joke or panel in the whole comic. It's like I, I've never found a panel in anything that I've loved more than this one because like, it's so funny. But underlying it is this seriousness, which, again, in the realm of speculative fiction, which I think comic books can sometimes apply to, Sholly Fish, as the author, sat down and thought, well, if we're in a world, right, the Teen Titans world, where superheroes are real, where interstellar travel is real, and we have access to other other planets, why wouldn't Chabad go to those other planets and set up Shlichim there to have kosher food just in case any Jewish astronauts or travelers show up? Um, it's like, it's hilarious. And it's also just such a, a perceptive understanding of that's exactly what would happen, I think. Right. It reminds me of the, that scene in uh, Mel Brooks's History of the World where the Jews in space and you see the menorah-shaped spaceship flying through space. Right. With the- it's coming. We're getting closer <laughs> to that every day. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to know anything, Raven. We have Wi-Fi. When you need 100% reliable, accurate information, where better to look than the internet? Let me see that. Um, and notice, of course, that the the computer or the tablet that they're using is actually coming out of Cyborg's body since he's right. a robot. So <laughs> it's his own panel that he's showing with a Hanakia. The Syrian Greek army invaded Jerusalem. Check. They desecrated the Great Temple. Check. Despite being massively outnumbered and outgunned, the Jewish Maccabees miraculously defeated them. Check. The Maccabees only found one small jug of pure oil to light the temple's menorah. Check. The oil miraculously burned for eight full days until they could get more. Check. Delicious potato lackeys, check. Okay, team, let's go be Maccabees. Leave it to me. I've got this. So 
part of what's wonderful about this page is here's the page where you just have a solid summary of the actual story of Hanukkah written in, in one panel through this research. What Shali's about to do is just poke fun of this, at the story and play with it. But here we have the actual story uh, written out. Henry, I think we've talked before about the fact it's a blend, right? Yeah, he's, he's covering both the sort of historical or at least written down book of Maccabees from the Apocrypha account of what happened, the battle. And then of course the rabbinic miracle that is, that is uh, created in, in, in the Talmud to, to explain the miracle of the oil. So you get a, yeah. a nice blend of both, both stories. Right. And so it's maybe not quite as punchy as what is hateful to you, don't do to your neighbors. That's the whole Torah. Um, all the rest is commentary. <laughs> right. But this is about as on one foot as Hanukkah gets when it comes to telling the story, right? And um, the only, if we really wanted to be pedantic, we could dive in and sort of argue about, well, is Syrian Greek the right term? Or would right. it be better to refer to them as just a Syrian? Um, I think technically the most accurate term because of the fact that like, depending on time, there weren't really Syrian Greeks. It wouldn't be right. right. Like, probably the best thing would be to say Seleucid Greek. But I've been to enough storytellings of Hanukkah or, or tellings or, or articles that refer to it as Syrian Greek. So we'll give Shali a pass on this one. This is this panel sort of sums up our, our point about this, this comic being a great resource to teach Jewish content. Like, I wish I had known about this comic a few months ago uh, when I was you know, teaching my students about when we were doing our Hanukkah unit and uh, before, before winter break, you know, I would, I would have definitely shown this next year. Yes. Yeah. And also loving in the chat that uh, team latkes should maybe instead be uh, what topping do you want on your latkes? Sour <laughs> cream. Um, I am a controversial figure in that I like mine dry. Um, all right, Same. let's go Same ahead taste. and great. This is why we podcast together. <laughs> Cyborg says, Hutman, Merry Hanukkah to you. Just call me Judah Maccabi. Not Maccabi, Maccabee. The Maccabees were Jewish, not Scottish. Oh man, do they at least play bagpipes? I've been practicing Hava Nagila. So Starfire's now talking to Colossal Boy. Welcome to the Jerusalem. So this is the great temple? Certainly, C-T for temple. <laughs> so just some delightful, delightful banter and jokes here playing on Maccabee there. Oh, and the one thing I did want to say really quick, if we could go back for a moment. I don't know. I just always love when people sort of play with, right? Obviously in Second Temple period at the time of the Maccabees, they would be speaking in Hebrew. Um, they wouldn't be speaking in English, but I love right. the fact that we just make it in the English language, T for Temple. I know it's a silly joke, but I just always love, I, I think I was telling Henry recently, for some reason, I went down the rabbit hole of reading some bizarre conspiracy theories that people had of like, oh, and if you look at Adam and what the letters are and like all this stuff, but it's always in English. And it's like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't originally in that language. It's easy to make connections in our current language that don't exist. But of course, making those sort of playful connections, being able to say this letter is like this letter, this sounds like this. Um, isn't that just in a lot of ways, that's what the rabbis do to interpret and to open up Torah, right? That's what so much midrash and commentary is, is replace this letter with this. This sounds like this. And so it's a hint to there. So we have this great connection of T for Temple. And indeed, <laughs> um, Hava Nagila on bagpipes would be a wonderful thing. If any of you would like to record that to share with the rest of us, um, I, I know I'd be appreciative. Bring it on. So Raven says, happy holidays. Let's go inside, light the menorah and get this over with. And get presents. Don't forget the presents. But before you light the menorah, don't you have to defeat the Syrian Greek army? Where are they? 
Oh, uh, here's like the humor of the rest of the issue and the delight, which is they just want to celebrate. And of course, Colossal Boy, for him, this is very real. He thinks he's gone back in time. He thinks he's there. And he's like, no, no, we can't just get to the celebrating. Don't you have to defeat this army first? (laughs) It's the Hive Five. I mean, the Syrian Greek Five. The who now? So the Hive is uh, Teen Titans team enemy group that they're always fighting you know it's a bunch of different guys and i think they fought the legion also but someone could correct me on that if i'm wrong right so basically but a group of supervillains, and so who else are we going to cast in this reimagining <laughs> um you know i'm also in my head i kind of always remember growing up on the Rugrats Hanukkah special where all the Rugrats characters are placed right. in the role of the Maccabees and Angelica's, I think placed the, 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 the bully antagonist of that cartoon was placed in the role of, I believe Antiochus. And so right. I love also the Teen Titans villains. Of course they will end up becoming the arch nemeses. Indeed. They end up becoming the Syrian Greek five or the Seleucid <laughs> Greek five. Right. Although we are vastly outnumbered by Billy numerous. Anyway, we shall fight on like the ancient Jewish warriors. We are. Mazel tov. Oy vey. Funny, you guys don't look Jewish. Yeah, we finally got names in a comic book. (laughs) Ha, we've got them on the ropes. Aren't they supposed to desecrate the temple before you beat them? Right. Right, so then we get more of the humor of being able to see that Colossal Boy saying, like, wait, this isn't right. You can't just defeat them so soundly. They need to do this destruction first. Um, I also just love the image of Colossal Boy sitting there eating popcorn and waving a flag, cheering on his team. <laughs> because it just reminds me, like, like it, for him, it's an adventure. It's a celebration. And also, it brings the entire story to life again, right? We, yeah. we so often retell the story. And this is, again, a Passover connection, not a Hanukkah one. But the point of Passover is often to retell the story and to see yourself as though you are also going out from Egypt and going out from slavery, which means you can't take for granted the ending of what's going to happen. To put yourself in that means saying this might go another way. So often with history, we act as though it was always known it would be that way because from our perspectives, it's inevitable. But in reality, at the time, it could have gone X way or Y way and they didn't know what would happen. And so um, we have Colossal Boys sort of going back and directing what would happen and knowing what has to happen, even though at the same time, this comic is alive to difference. So I I don't exactly know what my point is um, (laughs) so much as I just kind of love. You like it. I like it. I like it a lot. The next few pages involve the Teen Titans and the High Five arguing back and forth. Go ahead, destroy the tower. No, we don't want to destroy the tower. Uh, Henry and I didn't want to just read literally the whole comic, although maybe we could have. So we took those pages out. So Basically, what ends up happening is through a misunderstanding, part of their tower where they live does indeed get destroyed or, from Colossal Boy's perspective, desecrated. Boom. Oh, sorry about that. I really have to watch where I put my feet. Uh, Well, that's done. Let's get some oil. (laughs) So having defeated them, Colossal Boy steps on them. um, And Henry, every time we've gone over this, you've pointed out... Yeah, it's a nice callback to at the beginning when Beast Boy is like, watch out for the guy who can smash us with his foot. So there, that's how he defeats his enemies. He just steps on them. 
Right. Um, good, good comedy. Right. And totally, definitely not intended, but for some reason, it just always makes me think of God holding Mount Sinai over the Israelites right. and the idea of like this being that's so giant and beyond sort of your understanding, right? Like if we think about, I, I'm not arguing Colossal Boy is God, but I am just saying like a being from the 31st century who travels back in time and could just step a foot down on right. you. Like that's a, an intimidating figure, even though he's ultimately a figure for justice. Um, so he steps on the villains. They're ready now to reclaim the tower and the temple. Behold, Behold, my personal stash of top quality grade A motor oil in seven great flavors, too. Aren't the containers supposed to be broken? No problem. The oil drums explode. Except one small jug that's still unharmed. Uh, you could have mentioned that earlier. With Cyborg's supply of the oil blown to the smithereens, where shall we obtain the oil now? Follow me. So now, in, in reality, actually, what I love about this panel is that as much as it's joking, um, suddenly that recreation that's just been following uh, becomes very real, that they did just destroy all the oil. Is there anything left? How are they going to be able to solve this? Right. You keep oil inside the sofa? Why doesn't that surprise me? Aha! Here it is. See? This old slice of greasy pizza has plenty of oil. It's a Hanukkah miracle! Uh, so it looks like it's a trace slice of pizza. Right, it's, it's totally pepperoni. Pizza. Totally, yeah, totally not fine. But, you know, I guess we can benefit from that, although we're not supposed to benefit from the mixing of meat and milk, so eh, questionable. But regardless, he squeezes out the oil. I love Colossal Boy shouting of, it's a Hanukkah miracle, because part of what he's doing is... Um, Again, it's, I don't know. Henry and I have talked about this. Every year around Hanukkah time, if things look like they weren't going to go well and suddenly they do, like we were going to rent a room for the Hanukkah celebration. It wasn't available. And suddenly it is. Coworkers will shout, it's a Hanukkah miracle. Um, it's just <laughs> very, uh, someone in the chat was pointing out Sholly Fish's impressive knowledge of Judaism and the Hanukkah story that he can weave in here. And he also has a, a very alive and awareness of not just um, religious and traditional Judaism and Hanukkah, but you know the way that we behave here in the yeah. 2020. Right. right, it's a Hanukkah miracle. Right. Sally, Rebecca, Marga, and Dan, uh, Dan all pointed out that maybe it's some version of, of vegetarian sausage or something. So <laughs> there you go. Yes, I like the optimism. <laughs> oh Hanukkah, oh Hanukkah. Well, it's lit, and Colossal Boy is most joyful with the quelling. Me too. I got luckies. Yeah, but no presents. Maybe not, but look at it this way. At least now we know what we want for Christmas. A new tower. Delightful ending. Starfire, who's this alien character, as you probably got a sense from the comic, has this very strange rhythm to her language where she speaks of the words and, and things like that. Like, yeah. Having her talk about Lubavitch or having her uh, say the Kvelling, right? Like those moments are some of the most just delightful for me. But getting back to what Henry and I have been pushing all along, I think, which is representation, that final page in which it's just such a perfect blending of Judaism and comic books that there's well, all right, fine. Once again, the Shamish is not elevated, right. but the idea that this superhero headquarters has been transformed into a giant Hanukkah for this Jewish superhero to, to light. And although the art is very simple, although the art is very, you know, it's not uh, overly detailed. There's not too many lines that look of that smile on Colossal Boy's face. It just, I don't know why it gets me right in my kish because it gets me in my heart. It sort of just makes me, I'm so satisfied seeing him be so satisfied um, getting to celebrate and getting to light. Um, and if we go back for a second, just another fun detail that 
it's all those oil drums that were destroyed by yeah. cyborg earlier is what they're making the because the, they're the candle sized to colossal boy right it's just <laughs> great it's adorable it's really yeah. fun yeah i mean that was the issue that was the jewish content for colossal boy um there's not really any other issues that henry and i have been aware of that contain colossal boys judaism but we wanted to be able to bring that character to you show you a little bit of what we do and also just say when you start scratching the surface and looking at least henry and i have found this i imagine you would be also it's incredible how many jewish moments we find scattered throughout decades of comic books yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was uh, this was surprisingly one of our favorites. Um, for those of you that listen to our podcast, or maybe you will in the future, you'll hear that Brandon and I often get surprised at how good something is or how Jewish something is. And I, I never expected Teen Titans Go to to have this. So this was a, a great surprise uh, for me. And you know, we've now read this comic about 10 times. And we genuinely laugh every time we read it to each other. Thank you, Brandon and Henry, for providing us with all of this marvelous information. Excelsior. Thank you. And I'm Henry Bernstein. I'm Brandon Bernstein. No, no relation. relation. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Jewish Comics Pod, or you can email us at Jewish Comics Podcast at gmail.com.